We began last week just a, a short, very mini series in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, giving this the title, Disciple Making Church. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Here is the claim of the king and the charge of the king who gives us a very kingly promise before he ascends back into glory. We call it the Great Commission. Let's read these verses again. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word yet again, I pray that you would give to us those spiritual ears that we need to hear this for real, and to take it to heart for real, and have it make an impact and a difference and a change in our lives. I pray, Father, that we would not, we would not get anything skewed today. I pray, Father, that we would not be motivated by the law, but strengthened by the gospel to obey your command. I pray, Father, that we would have a gospel-shaped posture to the world around us. Our hearts would go out to the world as your heart in Christ has gone out to us. And we would go to the world as you came down to us. And we would speak the word of truth and pour into people's lives as you have done for us. Father, I thank you for our salvation. Please use us to see many saved and made disciples. We ask in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. Jesus Christ, our King, has from the Father the claim on all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one sovereign. He doesn't say that he has all authority over some or some authority over all. He says that he has all authority over all in heaven and on earth. He is the one sovereign, the authority over visible and invisible, over the living and the dead, over spirit and flesh. And he is our God. And we are his people, and we are his disciples. And the scope of his authority overall gives to us the scope of our mission. It's to all. We were once not a people. We are now his people, sent out to all peoples. We were not a nation, but now we are his holy nation, sent to all the nations to make disciples of Jesus. Last week, we refreshed on a basic. 
and that is what a disciple is in the first place. Literally, simply, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. And what we refreshed on is what we're learning as disciples and what we're teaching in order to make disciples. What we're learning and what we teach is not a philosophy. It's not a way, a truth, and a life. But it's the way, the truth, and the life, which is not a philosophy at all, but a person. The person of Jesus Christ. So we are learning Christ, which is a strange way of talking. It really is, but Paul spoke of that in Ephesians. I don't have time to go over that again as we went over it last week. But we are learning Christ and we are proclaiming Christ. We have come to know Jesus and we are charged to make him known to the world. And what I want, I really wanted you to understand is that we are the good news people in a grievous news world. We see grievous news every single day. The world is filled with it. And of course, we don't have to go far in our minds to have that reminder of even what is going on south of us to realize we live in a grievous news world. But in this world, we are the good news people. And the world desperately needs what you and I possess from God by grace. We must tell the gospel. We must tell of Jesus. The good news, like the angel said, the good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. It's Christ, the Son of God. Though every single one of us has turned to our own way, God came to us full of mercy in His Son who took on our full humanity and paid the debt of our sin fully that we might be made in Him fully alive unto God. That's the good news. We have it. We've received it. We stand in it. We are being saved by it according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and this is what we possess for the world. We must proclaim it. I want us to spend a little bit of time on speaking about how we go about making disciples. Jesus made it clear when he said, go therefore, it actually literally could be translated having gone therefore, it's a participle too, here's the main, here's the heart of this commission right here, make disciples. That's the the central imperative in this commission. Make disciples. And then he says how. He, He unfolds briefly the process of that. Baptizing them, second part of verse 19, and then teaching them in verse 20. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about these things because I want us to realize that when we are calling the world to Jesus and baptizing and teaching, we are, this is not a little thing that we are talking about. We're not calling the world to just a little thing. We're not, we're not calling them to, you know, a slight change. We're not talking about just turning over a new leaf in life making moral reform or anything like that. We're, we're making disciples of Jesus, not disciples of us. And this, this requires that the world, if they're going to be his disciples, that they abandon their self-perceived identity and way of life and hopes, all of that for Christ. 
to give up their own self-perceived identity to be identified with Christ. And you can see that in what he says about baptizing and teaching both. So we're not calling the world to a little thing. Baptism is no little thing. Paul, let me illustrate this. Paul was rather miffed at the Corinthians when he is writing his first letter to them. He, he's miffed that some of them say, I follow Paul. And another says, well, I follow Apollos. And, and still another says, well, I follow Cephas or Cephas, whatever it was, that is Peter. And, and Paul responded like this. Was Paul crucified for you? He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see what he is saying? Baptism signifies being wholly identified with the one in whose name you are being baptized. Being wholly identified with Christ. And Paul's argument clearly implies that. Because here they are identifying themselves with him. I follow Paul. And then Paul argues back, were you baptized in my name? Your identity is not with me. It doesn't lie with me, but with Christ. So we're not calling people to a little thing. When a believer wants to publicly identify themselves with Christ, and the church agrees that as best we, as we can determine, by the profession of this person's Faith and by the practice of their Christian life, as best we can determine this person is a Christian disciple, then we baptize in Jesus' name. And baptism signifies that this individual is united with Christ in all the ways that they can be united with Christ. United with Jesus in his death to sin, united with him in his burial and in his resurrection to live new unto God. So in baptism, the believer is publicly renouncing all other ways but Jesus and all other lords but the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is about. It's no little thing. And neither is the teaching. Baptism, of course, is a one-time event that isn't repeated unless there's a possibility that something, you know, was wrong the first time that there was a baptism, which unfortunately happens to be the case quite often. But baptism is a one-time event, event that isn't repeated. But teaching, on the other hand, is obviously lifelong. As we go about the process of teaching people to disciple them, that precedes initial evangelism, and it extends beyond it to establishing someone in God's Word and equipping them to serve. Teaching is a lifelong thing. Look at the aim of the teaching, though, to realize again that this is no little thing, this discipling effort that we are making. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. This is the aim of teaching, learning and following Christ and being conformed completely to Christ, observing all of the king's commands. We are 
We are calling the world to abandon themselves completely for Christ. Let me speak a little bit more about teaching. Obviously, teaching is key to discipling. And someone can say very legitimately, I am not a teacher. In fact, most Christians aren't teachers. That is, with the gift to teach and the the calling to teach. What I want to tell you, first of all, is remember this, that this discipling thing is not a solo effort. It's a church thing. It's not a solo effort. It's a church thing. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3? He said, one plants. He said, I plant. Paulus watered. So one plants. Another waters. God gives the growth. God gives the increase. So who cares who does what part as long as we all do our part? One way that we can think of evangelism. I recently read a book on discipling. And one way that we can think of, I said evangelism, one thing that, one way we can think of discipling is in a line, a, a progress from first engaging with a person, followed by evangelism, and then seeing that person coming to Christ, then establishing them in God's Word, and then equipping them to do the same thing with others. So, engaging, evangelizing, establishing them in God's Word, and then equipping them to serve themselves. Remember, it's the, a church thing. Rare is the occasion when someone is going to go through that whole process with an individual all on their own. From the initial engagement with them to actually then all the way to equipping them to serve. Very rare. And it's not supposed, it's not the norm and it's not supposed to be the norm. It's not supposed to be that way at all. If we don't care about having another notch on our spiritual belt, then we will actually be happy if we are the first to engage with someone, but don't have the role of evangelism. Someone else in our church body comes along and does the evangelism and sees that individual come to Christ. And then the person in the church who actually, you know, mentors someone in the sense of equipping them to serve in the body and proclaim the gospel in the world, they might not have had anything to do with the other steps along the way, but just the equipping. And that's good. That's perfectly normal in the Great Commission. Because it's not a solo effort or project. It's a church thing. Now that being said about teaching and and someone saying, well, I'm not a teacher. Remember that you have all kinds of different teaching. You have the formal kind. What's happening right here? What happens in Sunday school? When the congregation gathers as one or in classes, there's the formal teaching and not many people are called to do that. But there is also informal teaching that can happen on a road trip in the home, really where discipling starts, right? Over a cup of coffee or running an errand with somebody or on a road trip. That informal teaching. I believe that many Christians hold themselves back from achieving excellence in informal teaching. Because they don't think through the gospel enough. They talk of the gospel even less. And then kind of down way below those things, they neglect books. 
I got to plug books, and I'll talk more about them in just a minute. Not everyone is a good explainer. But you can grow to explain clearly what you talk about continuously. I know for me, I, I am not a good storyteller the first time I tell a story. My wife suffers through this all the time because I'll start to tell a story and I'm fumbling for the details and I say, wait, no, it didn't happen in that order. You know, go back. I'm not a good storyteller the first time, but after I've told it a couple of times, I can tell the story well. It's the same way with the gospel. If you want to explain it clearly, think about it and talk about it continuously. Think about it and read about it. It doesn't have to be a book. You know, a 150, 200 page book. Read gospel drenched articles. Articles that drool over the gospel and think about the gospel deeply. And don't worry about your poor retention. I can't remember what I read. I hear the complaint all the time. Neither can I. But you just keep reading and you keep reading and your mind gets shaped and your conversation gets filled with good, wise, gospel content over time because you just persevere in the thing. Read good articles and good books that go deep into the gospel and don't be afraid either to read over your head because you're not going to grow unless you do, right? But you read over your head, and in time you get up to that level. And you keep reading over your head, and you just keep on growing. And that's the way it goes. Think about the gospel. Talk about it continuously. And I'm not talking about being then enabled to become an excellent teacher in the formal setting. But just being able to have a good gospel conversation with another believer, and being able to explain simply and clearly the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are lost. We can grow. Let's not hold ourselves back. Every single one of us is sent to the world. Let me change tracks now. We are all sent. So either you are going or you're disobedient. Either you're going to the world with the good news of Jesus Christ or you are disobedient. I know instantly people feel guilty. I, I say the thing and I feel guilty because I think about how many opportunities I have let slip on by that I have squandered. I don't want to motivate you simply by the command. You, you see... The law, the commandment, is not your strength. It's not your strength for the mission. The law does not give Christians their strength. The gospel does. The gospel is our joy for strength that we are compelled to go. And so this morning, what I want to do is lay out just five gospel-shaped steps as we go to the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to give you five gospel-shaped steps because I want to show you that 
all of our posture to the world, or no matter what place we are in making disciples, wherever we are on the, the line of progress and discipling someone, that place, every place along the way, is to be gospel-shaped. We are, this is why I've been stressing, we are the good news people to a grievous news world. Let me reinforce that you are sent to make disciples. And we will not go if we just have the mindset, which has been the mind of the church for a long time, build it and they will come. If that is our mind, if that is our approach to the world, let the church build it. You know, the building itself, the program, whatever, build it and they, the world, will come. We're not going. Rather, in that spirit, disciples revert from actively seeking sinners to passively waiting on sinners to seek them, seek the church, seek Christ. And what what we do is depend on the professional programmers to build the thing that will attract the world. And this is, this is unbiblical. It is dumb. It is an idea that is completely alien to the Bible. We were sent to go. So, five gospel-shaped steps in discipling others. First, we must be intentional. The first two that I'm going to give you, I also gave to you last week, but I want to elaborate on them further. First, we must be intentional. We must be purposeful. And it's the gospel that makes us this way. Did God save you willy-nilly? Did He just happen to stumble into this amazing thing of salvation? No, it was His purpose before the foundation of the world to make you and me His own in Christ. His purpose before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 says that the salvation of the people of God to the glory of God is His eternal purpose. Purposeful. Planning. Intentional. If you don't intend on being involved in making disciples, you're not going to be involved. Listen, we cannot wait for the world to have the intent to become a disciple of Jesus because the world is never on its own apart from God's work in their lives through us. They're never going to have that intent. We must be intent on it for them. Jesus said, make disciples because disciples don't make themselves. The world, apart from Christ, they cannot make themselves disciples of Jesus. We must be intent, have the intention of discipling them. And so we must, therefore, second, take the initiative. We must initiate. Be intentional. Take the initiative. Initiate. Think about this with the gospel. If God had left you to yourself, where would you be? Would you have sought out a relationship with him? Would you have loved him first? That would be impossible. No sinner has the intent on coming to Jesus. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3, no one understands, no one seeks God. No one seeks God. No one makes the first move. So God initiated the plan of redemption and God loved you first. 
And so we must take the initiative with people. The Bible says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then you remember what Paul said? Famous words. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We must initiate. And our tendency is to think simply of the preaching in formal events and you know, Lord's Days, such as this. But when we talk about taking the initiative, I'm talking about just pursuing people for a relationship. I'm talking about striking up conversations. Taking the initiative to engage with somebody. Striking up conversations. Taking the lead in that relationship and steering the course of conversations. Just like Jesus, the friend of sinners, took the initiative and took the lead in relationships. I don't think it really needs to be said, but I'll say it anyway. Um, because we do, we get awkward when it comes to to this. Well, how do I engage with somebody? How do I take the lead? Just find common ground. Find common ground with people. You have that common ground. First of all, spiritually, obviously, though they're not going to want to hear that the first time you engage with them, but all are sinners and all desperately need God. What more common ground do you need than that? But likely you're going to meet people in the hobbies that you enjoy. And you're going to have common ground right there. A lot of people like sports. All of us have to eat. And just about all of us really like food, like it a lot. People like to not only eat food, they like to talk about food. And when we can't find anything to talk about, we like to talk about the weather. We have a lot in common. But think about food just for a moment. I believe that when God created food, He was creating the foremost opportunity for fellowship that we have as a race. Why do we always see Jesus in the Gospels eating? Eating with people. Having them at table. Being invited to their table. He's always eating. Why? Because at the table, He's making disciples. That brings us to the third thing. As Jesus was in his ministry and as he is still, so we must be inviting. Inviting. And in addition to that, we must invite. Be inviting and then actually invite. Think about this. The good news people should make for the most inviting people in all the world. We should be the most inviting people in all the world. Now, not everybody thought Jesus was inviting. Some of them were actually repulsed at Christ. But who were those people? They were the self-righteous who thought that they had it all together and who were so quick to write off sinners and happy to write off sinners completely. They were repulsed at Jesus for the very reason, reason that he was so inviting to sinners. None has ever been so inviting as Christ. All of these sufferers and all of these sinners latched on to Jesus because He was so inviting to them. They found in Him the truth wrapped in a love that they did not believe existed for them. He touched with His pure hand physically ruined bodies. Physically disgusting bodies. 
Think of those with advanced leprosy. He allowed morally filthy people to drape themselves on him. None was so inviting as Christ. And I'm not just pointing to his command, love sinners. Or even to just his example, what he did with people. Remember what he did for you, what the gospel proclaims Jesus did for you. That he set his love upon you. Were you that son wandering far away? Ruined, morally, dragging yourself back home? He ran to you. Or are you the good boy who stayed at home? He urged you, come inside. Whether you're, you know, the, the scandalously immoral of the world, or the self-righteous goody-two-shoes of the world, he's inviting. And he says, come to me. All, come to me. He paid your own way by his blood, and then he welcomes you into the joy of the fellowship of God and his people. His heart is warm to you. His face is welcome to you. Now, some of the most warm people I know are in this room. You just, you're naturally warm and the gospel has made you even warmer. But maybe you're, you would say, well, that's not really my, I don't have the most inviting personality, you know, or whatever. But listen, there's gospel power for it. That we are inviting people. That we have a warmth and a kindness about us. And as we are to be inviting, as Christ is to us, we must actually invite. Invite them to lunch, to coffee. Invite them into your home. Invite them into your life. Invite them to church. You still inviting people to church? Invite them to church. Invite them into your group of friendships. Invite, 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 because that's what God does to us through the gospel. Well, we also, it's a summons, but it's also the warmest invitation that we could ever receive. Now the fourth thing. Invest. Invite them in that you may invest in their life. I want to tell you the most powerful discipleship tool that a church has. It's not any program that has ever been invented. It's not talents and it's not presentations. It's the person who is soaked in the gospel and is hospitable. It's the Christian who loves Christ and his gospel and is hospitable. That's the most powerful discipleship tool that a church has. Is your life open to people or is it closed? What about your home? Is it a private retreat for you and yours or is it open to people? The goal is that we can bring them, we barge into their lives to bring them into our ours so that we can invest. And we do this, you can't do this without hospitality. Lay yourself down for people and pour yourself out 
because Jesus laid himself down for you and poured himself out. We must invest. Do you have a non-family relationship that is a priority for your time and your energy and your resources? Discipleship is a relationship with Jesus. So think about that. Discipleship, personal discipleship is a relationship with Christ. So why are we content to parachute in, lob a few gospel grenades, and then fly back out? Where is the relationship in that? Where is the investment? Where is pouring ourselves out? It would be crazy, wouldn't it? If we would be content to, and not willing to do for others exactly what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us. But I, I think that's often the case for us. And as I said last Sunday, and I'm saying to you today, one of the, I think the greatest hindrance of why we are not about the cause of making disciples is that we fail to reflect on the goodness of the good news and how wonderful it is for all the souls who receive it. Think about the gospel. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Also, put to death this idea that your home is just for you and yours. And and when you open your home to someone, don't worry about appearances. Don't. Listen. If someone eats with my family, it is not going to be a fine dining experience. And that's not because of my wife. That's just the nature of where we are in life. You know, um, don't worry about your home or the expense of food that you put before someone if it's not a fine dining experience. I have four children. Two of them the older ones, let me be clear, are just fine. But my younger two do not make for a fine dining experience. Can't be worried about it. If we're going to bring, if we're going to fold people into our lives, we can't worry about appearances. Friendships can't go deep when surface things like appearance are a priority. It's impossible to fold someone into your life long-term and keep up appearances. And the more that you fold someone into your life, the more influence that you can have. And that brings us to number five, influence. We must be intentional to initiate in order to invite people so that we may invest in them and have influence. And obviously this is gospel Influence, spiritual influence. Think of this verse, Proverbs chapter 13. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Do you see the potential here? If you befriend someone, it is very possible that they become someone who walks with the wise to become wise. If you will, as the wise person, Befriend them so that they may find in Christ all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge which are in Him. 
There are people in the context of your life that you have the potential to influence toward Jesus if you will take the initiative to invite them into your life. If they're not influenced by wise believers, who are they going to be influenced by? Foolish unbelievers. And again, let me remind you what I said a while ago. This is a church thing. If someone, one of our church members, brings a friend into our church service, will that friend have the potential to find other friends in this church body who are just as inviting as the one who invited them to the service? That's what they need. Because it's not a solo project that we're talking about. It's a church thing. J.D. Griar has written, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. One of the rarest commodities in all the world It's a true friend. People, sinners in the world, we're all sinners, but those who are in the world without Christ don't want Christ as their friend. Naturally speaking, they don't want Christ, but you know what? A lot of people would be willing to give their right arm if they could have a true friend who would be their right arm. Someone who would have their back in all situations. In good times, when it doesn't cost them to be your right arm and have your back, and in bad times too. The world is filled with desperately lonely people. It really is. A lot of the things that are in discussion these days, racism, social justice, all of that, the best thing that you can do as an individual is befriend people. Befriend them. Because God in Christ befriended you. The influence of our friends is profound. And that's what we want for the world. We want to be together their friends so that they may become wise in Christ. Just have a few more thoughts here. And I want to tell you a little bit about my experience and success that God has given to me in discipling. But I do want to say, as I said before, a lot of opportunities have passed me by. I have squandered a lot of opportunities in discipling. But I have also done what I should many times and still been disappointed. I'm sure that I've invited over the years more than a hundred people to church and seeing disappointment after disappointment. Even, you know, when you're in an actual relationship with somebody and you invite them to church and they say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know I need to be there and I will be there this Sunday. You can count on it. How often are they actually here? It can be very disappointing. But then despite, you know, the initial engagement with people and inviting them to church, you can make your way in that that line of discipleship, you know, engage, evangelize, and you can be in a, in a place where you have a one-on relationship with somebody where you're working to see them established in God's Word. Or forget that, even you can go further and where you're equipping them to serve others and the bottom can fall out of that relationship. And that is profoundly disappointing. And I've seen that too. I was in a discipleship relationship with an individual, mentoring and you know, meeting together and all of those things. One time that person came to me 
looking for advice on how to handle a certain relationship. I gave them counsel. They verbally, to my face, rejected that counsel, went away from there, and then physically hurt that person very badly. And the bottom fell out of the relationship. So you are going to see, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but it is true, and you need to be prepared. You need to expect disappointment and be prepared to to deal with disappointment. God has also, all glory goes to God, God has also given to me success in discipling people. And I have, um, I'm talking about the informal kind of, because there's discipling happening right now, but formally. But in informal relationships, I've discipled young men and middle-aged men and elderly men. And although, although those relationships have looked different one from the other, and, and the product has perhaps looked different, all have grown in Christ. Now, of course, God allowed me to disciple Ryan, beginning a little over seven years ago. And what I undertook with him was just natural to both of us. I folded him into my life and began him into my life, began discipling, and we didn't call it that. I wasn't telling him, Ryan, right now I'm folding. Do you realize I'm folding you into my life? Ryan, you, you're being discipled here. We didn't, we didn't talk about that. We just did what was natural and the, the success of it was from God. All from God. But I found in him someone who was willing. And, you know, just, just this year, I think it was this year, we we read a book with a group of men called Discipleship by Mark Dever. And so Ryan, Ryan and I are reading the book separately, but uh, reading this book and coming across these ideas and pointers and stuff, and Ryan actually thought, if, if this wasn't a brand new book, I would have thought that Mike had read this book beforehand. Because we were just doing, like, he even says, why don't you have someone into your home Thursday nights for supper? That's exactly what we started to do seven years ago. Nearly every Thursday for about three years or so, he was in our home for supper and conversation and books. And beyond that, of course, he was being fed in other ways and other means and growing in the Lord. He was established in God's Word and he was equipped to serve others. And what's been awesome to see in a couple of these relationships that God has given me opportunity to have is that those that I've discipled have turned around and done the same thing with others and have got into lives and into homes that would have been closed off to me. I've seen this the last couple years with with Ryan, that he's been able to get into people's lives that I wouldn't have been able to get into just because that particular person didn't like the preacher or whatever. And it's been wonderful. It has been awesome. Years ago with Jim Baker, he and Carrie and I would, were reading books and um, we, we read a few and then it came to the point where Jim was equipped enough that we would sit down on one morning of the week and go through this study together and then Jim would turn around and he would do the exact same study with other people. And that's what happens. This is, this is 2 Timothy 2.2. What, this is Paul talking to Timothy. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I can't give the the credit to the person who wrote it this way, but I read just a little while ago that 
Paul is like a spiritual great-grandfather there. He, he's, you know, he's got Timothy, his son, and then those that Timothy invests in are like Paul's spiritual grandsons, and those that those men invest in become Paul's spiritual great-grandsons. And that's what discipleship does. When someone is equipped to serve God, it just goes on and on and on, and that's how it multiplies. So that Christianity doesn't grow simply by addition, but by multiplication, as the word goes out. And just speaking for Ryan here, he has also seen a lot of disappointment along the way already. And God has also given him success. Let's make disciples. And all along the way, let our posture to the world be shaped by the gospel. Remember what God has done for you very specifically in Jesus at great cost to the Son of God. Let your heart be changed by it. Reflect on it. Wonder at it. And then make disciples. And remember the promise. Jesus himself is with you always for this to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our Father, you have given to us in Christ this this commandment that we cannot begin to undertake, let alone fulfill, on our own, in our own power. It's mustering up our will and all of that. We will not do it in our flesh. But by your Spirit, your Spirit giving us life in Christ, always pointing us to Christ, speaking to us again and again of what Christ has done for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our hearts then may be conformed to Jesus to do for others what He did for us in loving them, in telling to them the word of truth and in pouring out our lives for the sake of the world. Father, I pray that it's the gospel that would stick with people today. I pray that that is what would be planted deep in every heart. And that is what would shape our lives and our whole approach to the world. These things we ask in Jesus' name. For his glory. Amen.